Well, this is a snake plant. Um, does anybody have a snake plant? Just curious. Yeah, a couple people? Okay. So plants can hear speech. Did you know that? Plants can actually hear speech. Scientists have studied this. Studies out of Israel, South Korea, England, and even on the show Mythbusters have proven that plants respond to sound. Now, plants don't have ears like we do, but rather they can detect vibrations. It's, it's something called phytoacoustics, that plants can sense vibrations. And some studies have even concluded that plants respond to different words better than other words. So for instance, if I told this plant, snake plant, you're not that fun. I wish I would rather hang out with a root rot fungus than you because it's more fun than you are. Or, you know, I, I would say, you know, I wish you'd just go soil yourself. Studies have shown that plants actually grow worse when we speak negative words to them. But conversely, if we speak positive, encouraging words to our plants, they respond better. They grow slightly more. They produce more fruit than if we were to speak something discouraging to them. So snake plant, our relationship is unbelievable. Okay, you know, like that. Uh, or, you know, we could say, you know, nothing makes my heart skip a beat like you do. I know those are just cheesy, cheesy jokes, but you get the point that words are powerful, that our speech, the, our ability to encourage others is powerful. You know, in high school, I had a teacher who knew the power of encouragement, who used his words to encourage me, to help me to see things in myself that I didn't realize I had, to help me to go further than whatever thought I thought or whatever thought was possible, who encouraged me every step of the way, who helped push me ever so slightly by just encouraging me. And maybe you had somebody like that in your life, or maybe you are that in somebody else's life. Maybe you, you had a parent. Maybe you had a grandparent. Maybe you had an aunt and uncle, a teacher, a friend, a coach, somebody who spoke encouraging words over you, who helped you to do more than what you ever thought was possible. Chances are we have all experienced that. That person you know, that use the power of their words to encourage, help build you up instead of keeping them words to themselves. They use their words to encourage you. And that has a profound impact on our lives. In fact, scientists, in addition to studying phytoacoustics in plants, have studied the positive effects that encouraging words have on our lives. Studies have shown that encouraging words not only affects our brain and it affects how we see the world around us, it causes us to see the world and other people in the more positive light. It also has uh, the ability to impact our health because encouraging words results in overall better ability to cope with stress and anxiety. Conversely, negative words um, release stress and anxiety-inducing hormones into the body, which has a trickle-down effect, which negatively impacts our overall health and well-being. And so today we're exploring the, how we can be over-the-top generous with our words, how we can use encouragement to build others up. We're in week four of our series called Over the Top, where we've been looking at how the Bible expands our definition of encouragement. If you haven't been with us, I'll just catch you up real quick, but you can go to our website, hcminerva.church, and you can find all the messages on our website, uh, as well as questions and a daily devotion uh, if you want to work through this content by yourself or with a friend. Um, but the first week, we talked about how our time is our most valuable possession that everybody has 24 hours in a day and it matters how we choose to use our time and we can be generous with our time the bible challenges us to be generous with our time 
The next week, we talked about how we can be generous with the good news. If the good news about Jesus, his gospel, actually is good news, then why do we keep it to ourselves? Why not share with other people? We can be generous with the good news. And last week, we talked about how we can be generous by caring for one another. And as I mentioned today, we're talking about how we can be generous and over the top with our encouragement. Because the people who wrote what became our New Testament knew the power of encouraging one another. They knew, they knew the power of writing letters to encourage people to follow Jesus. They knew the power that our words have, and they had something to say about it. So we're going to be in Paul's letter to the Thessalonian church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You can go ahead and pull it up in your phone or turn your Bible. Uh, if not, the words are going to be up here on the screen. But just to kind of give you a backstory as to uh, why Paul was writing, um, Paul was writing to a small group of Jesus followers in the uh, Greek city of Thessalonica. Uh, and Thessalonica is located here in what is modern day Greece. So here we have uh, Europe. So we've got, you know, Italy right there. Here's France, Spain, Portugal's over there. Um, so that kind of gives us a, an idea of, of where this letter uh, was written and what took place, or where it took place. Uh, and Paul wrote to the, this church in Thessalonica because at this time there were some religious people in Thessalonica that were over the top in their, uh, their way that they lived their life, but it wasn't necessarily the way that the Apostle Paul wanted them to live their life. It was over the top, it was extreme, but not necessarily in a good way. And so Paul was forced to leave this group of Jesus followers sooner than what he would have liked. And as a result, he was afraid that this community would collapse back in on itself and there wouldn't be a church in Thessalonica anymore. And so Paul was writing to, because this group of religious people was making the Jesus followers' lives very difficult in that community. And so he was writing to encourage them, to use his words to help them to live out their faith, to follow King Jesus. And so in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, we're going to begin in verse 11. Paul says this, he says, therefore, and whenever we see the word therefore in scripture, we should always ask, what's it therefore? Come on, you guys know that. Um, and so before this section, the apostle Paul spent a long time unpacking uh, what it would be like when the day of the Lord came. That is, when Jesus would return in his fullness and usher in his kingdom. Because there were some people that were, had entered this church and they were teaching wrong things, that it had already happened, or that it wasn't going to happen. And so Paul was writing to teach and then to encourage them that the day of the Lord was coming. And so therefore, in light of that, in light of the, the hope that they had in the coming of King Jesus, he says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. Encourage one another. Continue to, to encourage one another in the hope that you have. Don't stop. Keep it going. Continue to encourage one another. And build each other up as you are already doing. Because you know the truth. You know what's, what's coming. But don't just stop at knowing. Because knowing and, and doing are two different things. So go ahead and live that out. Live as if your hope is a reality. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. And now we ask you, brothers, let's see, there we go. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to give recognition to those who labor among you and who lead you in the Lord and admonish you. And to regard them very highly in love because of their work, be at peace among yourselves. Paul is talking in this section uh, about 
the, the role that uh, leaders in the church play and commanding those in the church to honor the leaders because their job is to help encourage them. To, he says to admonish you. Uh, to, that's another way of saying to encourage you. Their job is to, to lead, to encourage you, to help you to live out your faith as you seek to follow Jesus because they're tr- also trying to follow King Jesus as well. So therefore, honor them. Honor them. Treat them with respect because of their work. And then he says, be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves because it it was very likely that there was some sort of a conflict that was happening in this church. And so Paul was writing to to them to encourage them to be at peace, to stop fighting, to put aside their differences, to have the same kind of peace that God and Christ has revealed to us, the same peace that God has given us by the power of of a spirit to live at peace with one another. And Paul continues on in his encouragement. He says, and we exhort you. Uh, whoever uses the word exhort today? Nobody. My challenge is to use that word in a sentence this week. We exhort you. Another way to say it is where we ask you or we encourage you, brothers and sisters. And then he gives a list of, of things that they were supposed to do. To warn those who are idle. And another translation is to say those who are lazy. And it's this idea of being actively unruly, that there's this group of people in the church that knew the way that they were supposed to live, they knew how to follow Jesus, and they were choosing to not do that, to live in a way that was contrary to that. So they were actively unruly, they were lazy because they knew what they should do, and so they were not doing it. To warn those who are idle of the coming, uh, coming day of the Lord, and then he says to comfort the discouraged, in other ways, to say, encourage the discouraged. Those who were discouraged by the persecution of Christians in the, in the city of Thessalonica and around the Roman Empire. Uh, because it was, the Christians were not well-liked. They were seen as a knockoff Jewish cult. And so people were trying to do what they could do to stamp out the Christian faith. Uh, as well as the Roman officials didn't like Christianity because it, they would proclaim that Caesar wasn't king. That, they, that there was another king, and his, king, his name was King Jesus. And so comfort or encourage those who are discouraged. And he says to help those who are weak, that is to hold on to, to help lift up those who might be sick, those who might be physically weak, those who might be spiritually weak. Uh, we don't exactly know what Paul was talking about, but that word can mean all those different things. To help those who are weak, and then he says to be patient to be patient with everyone, to be patient, to to be like God in your patience because God is not easily provoked and so therefore neither should followers of Jesus. God is patient, not wanting any to perish. Patience is one of the things that, that comes as a result of following Jesus. When God gives us his spirit, we begin to produce fruit of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control that those things are to characterize a follower of Jesus, that we are to be patient with everyone. Not just with those within the church, but be patient with everyone. Paul continues, he says, See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. To don't hurt each other and to don't take revenge, because vengeance is not the way of a Jesus follower. Because you see... Jesus allowed himself to be arrested. He allowed himself to be beaten. He allowed himself to be crucified. And all along the way, Jesus was in control of his very, uh, his very life. He chose to willingly da- lay down his life 
for the benefit of others. He could have, Scripture says, called down a legion of angels to set him free, but rather he chose not to repay evil with evil, but rather to allow himself to be conquered by evil, to trust in God's justice, because in doing so, evil was conquered. Because evil thought that the only thing that it had over Jesus was death, that that was the worst thing that it could do to Jesus. And Jesus said, no, I'm more powerful than death. And he rose three days later. And we are to follow King Jesus in doing that, to not hurt each other, to not take revenge. In fact, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves. He tells us to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. And this is important for us to remember as you know, we're less than a year away from a, political, uh, from a presidential election, to learn to live this out, to love those who would be perceived as maybe a political enemy, to love those who think differently from us, to not repay evil for evil. I like what Bible scholar D. Michael Martin says about this. He says, they, meaning the Jesus followers, they should shame the evil. I like that term, shame the evil, by returning them good and leave the evening of accounts to God. Returning wrong for wrong makes a wrongdoer of the Christian. Let me say that again. Returning wrong for wrong makes a wrongdoer of the Christian because most of the ancient world may have considered retaliatory justice appropriate. But Christians were encouraged to emulate the remarkable love and patience with evildoers that God revealed in Christ Jesus. So we are to follow Jesus, imitate him, and trust that God is going to carry out justice, that justice is his. And ours is to, to shame evil by returning good, to not turn wrong or not use wrong for wrong because that makes an evildoer of the Christian. It makes us like the, the serpent that deceived the first man, Adam and Eve. It makes us like the deceiver instead of like somebody who is a part of the kingdom of God. Paul continues and he wraps up this section with a series of, of statements and actions for the church. He says, rejoice always. That is, always have a posture of joy. Pray constantly. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in everything. Have an attitude of gratitude. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Paul summarizes how their actions towards one another bears fruit and how whenever they, they gather together, it should result in an optimistic atmosphere of joy, thanks, and praise. And so for the Apostle Paul, encouragement was essential in helping to sustain somebody in their faith, to help them to grow, because he knew that without encouragement that they would not grow. That the church in Thessalonica, it wouldn't go well for them, that that church would eventually fizzle out now, those people wouldn't grow in their faith. And for us to understand why the Apostle Paul said this, we have to look at what one of Paul's contemporaries, James, the brother of Jesus, what he had to say about the power of our word. So turn now to James chapter 3. In James chapter 3, we read this. James says, For we all stumble in many ways. We all stumble. You know, it's popular today to say no one's perfect, and James, the brother of Jesus, said that 2,000 years ago, something that he knew that we all stumble in many ways, that we all mess up, that no one is perfect. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to reign in the whole body as well. James is talking about the power of our speech, the power of our tongue, and he says that we all stumble, but then he says, he gives a caveat, but if anyone doesn't stumble in what he says... He's perfect. But, you know, 
no one is actually perfect because we all stumble. Because if that man is perfect, he's able to reign in the whole body as well. He's able to control the power of the tongue. He continues on, he says, now it gives examples. Now, if we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they will obey us, we direct their whole body as well. That bit is a tiny piece of metal put in the mouth of the horse to help uh, direct which way that horse is going to go, to help control the animal. It's a tiny little piece of metal. It has extreme power over that massive animal. And he says, look at the ships too, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're nevertheless directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot determines. So that rudder, like the bit in the horse's mouth, it's a small thing, yet it can turn a great ship. It has power to control that massive vessel. See also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a force is set aflame by such a small fire. Because James and Paul both knew that something as small as our words could have tremendous impact, that our words have the power to heal or to harm, and the tongue is the source of that. It's small, yet it has the power to direct our actions. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and we, our actions follow our speech. And the tongue is a small part of our body, yet it boasts of great things. See how great a force is set aflame by such a small fire, such a small spark. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you've said something to either intentionally or unintentionally, and then it literally just blew up. Or somebody maybe took it the wrong way, or they took it the right way, and that was your intended consequence. Or your intended, uh, yeah, the intended consequence was to cause conflict, cause division. And that was all started by such a small thing, by just our speech, by our tongue. And it causes a great forest fire. James continues on. He says, with our tongue, with it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who have been made in the likeness or the image of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. So we use our mouth to, to bless others, to praise God. But yet with the same mouth, we use it to tear down others, to, to take life from others, to speak words of discouragement or negative words, hurtful words over other people. And James says, for the follower of Jesus, this should not be so. You shouldn't use your mouth to bless God and curse others who have been made in his image. Or you use your mouth to bless God and to curse God. It's a physical impossibility for the follower of Jesus, James says. And that's challenging to hear because so often we, we're careless with how we use our speech. We use our words here on a Sunday morning to, to praise God, to sing songs, to pray to him. And then we turn around and we use our same mouth that we use to praise God to curse other people. And James would go on to unpack this idea even more, giving more examples that you know, he would say that from a freshwater spring cannot come salt water. You can't have both fresh and salt water from the same spring. He would say that an uh, olive tree cannot produce figs and a fig tree cannot produce grapes. That it's an impossibility. And the same is true with our speech. We cannot use our speech to praise God and also tear down other people. Because to do otherwise is not possible. And so when it comes to our lives as followers of Jesus, it's not possible to be over the top with our praise to God and also tear other people down with our speech. And so that's what James had to say. And Paul had that idea in mind. So now let's turn back to one last thing that the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 4, 
29. Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus to instruct them how they should grow in, in Jesus and be mature and how they should live. And he sums up the power of our speech this way. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Any unwholesome talk, it's this idea of, of words that are rotten. The word is saphros. It's talking about rotten fruit. So don't let rot come out of your mouth. Because what good is rotten fruit? It's no good. It's no good. It's, it's worth being thrown away. There's an implied sense of worthlessness in the words that are coming out of our mouths. Paul says, don't let worthless, rotten, unwholesome words come out of your mouths. You've heard the, the saying before that one bad apple can ruin the whole barrel. That's a common saying, and it's true because one rotten piece of fruit can spoil the entire container of fruit. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you bought fruit at the store and didn't know that there was one rotten onion in there, and that spread to the rest of the onions, or one rotten apple in your bag of apples. We've had that happen on many occasions. You go down to get some onions out of our, you know, the spot in our basement where we store them, and you smell something that's off, and you're like, I think there's something rotten here, and you you know, get rid of the rotten onions, or we've had that happen with our Walmart grocery pickup. We got rotten potatoes once. We never bought potatoes from Walmart pickup ever again. <laughs> Go to Aldi for the potatoes now. Um, but the, the fact is that that rot spreads. That rot spreads rottenness. If you want to get rid of the rot, get rid of the source of the rot. Get rid of that fungal inoculum that's spreading to other pieces of good fruit. And the same is true with our words, it, they have the power to spread rot, to spread um, worthlessness. And Paul also had this in mind when he wrote to the church at Colossae. He said this in Colossians 4, 6, to let your conversations always be full of grace, to be full of grace, not just a little bit, but to be filled up to the top with grace, seasoned with a little bit of salt, because salt was a preservative. It kept things from rotting. So our salt, our sp or not our salt, our speech should be like that. It, it should give life. It should keep things from rotting. It should prevent rot instead of spreading rottenness, instead of allowing unwholesome talk to come out of our mouths, that we should use words that bring life. And Paul continues on. He says, but only what is helpful for building others up. To use words that, that give life, that build others up according to not our needs, but to their needs. According to their needs, that it might benefit those who listen. So the words that we speak is for their needs. It's for them. It's not for our benefit. Because so often we use words to tear down other people. And we have in mind our own benefit, making us feel better, making us feel more superior than that person. But the Apostle Paul says, no, that's not supposed to be the way of Jesus' follower. That we are supposed to use words that are helpful for building others up according to their needs. And for us to do that, it implies that we have to know that person enough, to know what they need, to know how they will understand that. And there's a great study that many of our small groups have been through. It's called, I Said This, You Heard That. Uh, it's a fun study as well, so you will learn a lot about yourself in doing so. It kind of hurts a little bit, uh, but you'll learn a lot about other people and how you can use your speech to have a positive impact on them, what their innate needs are, how God has wired those people, and use your speech for their benefit. You can find this um, on Amazon. You can also find the, the videos on YouTube, or if you've got the Roku app, there's an I Said This, You Heard That app and you can watch the videos for free. But I highly recommend, uh, if you want to dive deeper into how your speech uh, can color 
um, or how our temperament can color our speech, get this book and we can all together learn to build others up according to their needs that our speech might benefit those who listen. Because again, it, it requires intentionality. It requires getting to know that person even just a little bit before just spouting off worthless, careless words. Because our words are to be for their benefit. Because we have the words of life. We're to, we're to spread that. We're not supposed to spread words that bring death. So think about that for a second. What good do hurtful words do for others? Like rotten fruit, they do no good. They tear other people down. So why would we want to send hurtful words to others when we know how much damage that they can do? Because so often we don't think about our words. Now this doesn't mean that we can't say critical or hard things to other people, but it, re it requires that we first check our motives. Is our motive to hurt that person or is it to help them actually take a step and grow as a human being or is it to tear them down? It means that we shouldn't say things with the primary intent of causing hurt. Perhaps you remember words or feelings that came as a result of somebody, somebody saying something hurtful to you. It's something that, as a parent with young kids, a four-year-old, two-year-old, and three-month-old, that I am trying to learn how to use my words to build my kids up. Because God has wired each and every one of them differently. And there's days when they try our patience as parents. And I've heard that it gets worse as they become teenagers. So hopefully I can learn how to do this now so that way when they're teenagers... It goes better. Um, and I can use my words to build them up, to, to encourage and draw out the person that God has created them to be. And so James and Paul both want us to see that when we use our words to bless and encourage others, that they are an infinite and free source of encouragement. That we can use words to help sustain and grow other people through challenging circumstances. As Paul wrote to encourage the, the Thessalonian church. As James wrote to a, a group of Christians to help encourage them to live out their faith. Because so often we think that we're limited in our ability to be generous. Because we don't have what the next person has. Or we don't have the resources that we have. But we all have our words. We can use our words to encourage others because it's free. It costs us nothing. We've got an unlimited supply because encouraging words can help sustain and push people to new levels of what they thought was possible. So Hope Community, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Why not try to use your words to build up other people? Because you have no idea how far your encouragement can go because, you, again, you have an unlimited supply. So why keep it to yourselves? Why not be generous with your words and freely share that with other people? So now what? Now what do we do? Here's some things that we can practically do to live this out this week. So number one, we can encourage specifically. We can encourage specifically. Instead of saying something like, good job, which is easily forgotten, we can say something like, you know, if you're a student, say, say to your parents or somebody that maybe helped you through homework, say, you know, I really appreciated when you helped me with my homework, but don't just stop there. Be specific and then add, here's what it did for me. It made me feel cared for. And that might be hard to, to get there to say how it made you feel. But we can all do that. We can all find something that we want to encourage specifically about. To be specific, if we're a parent, if we're a grandparent, a friend, we can all do this. We can also encourage broadly. We've mentioned the ways that encouragement is free and unlimited, so why hold it back? 
Start encouraging people wherever you see it. And don't be stingy. If you notice something, see something. So encourage broadly. And I said it in the first service, and I'll say it again. Students, I want to encourage you guys because you guys sit up front. You hear every Sunday, you guys have your arms raised. You're worshiping King Jesus, so don't stop. Because you guys can't see what's happening in the room behind you. You can't see the impact that that's having on people's faith as they see people, young people, here who have a passion to worship our King, to follow Jesus. So keep going. Don't stop. Scott, I want to include you in that. You're a young person, too. You sit up front. Okay, keep going. All of you guys in front, okay, today, way to go. Keep it up. Don't stop. Next, we can encourage intentionally. Then we can prioritize saying kind things in our daily conversations to make it a challenge for yourself to say maybe five positive things or five encouraging things before saying one harsh or one discouraging thing. We can also encourage strategically. Maybe there's something that you want to say to a friend, a family member, a spouse, classmate, let them know, but then don't stop there. Encourage strategically, spread it around to as many people as possible. Say, you know what, uh, you know, so-and-so, they're a really great friend, and here's why, they did this for me. You know, they've got such good character. You encourage strategically, spread that around, spread good things about people to keep it going. Because encouragement has the, the power to sustain people who are facing tremendous obstacles. But if we don't know how to encourage people, it could stop us from being generous with our unlimited resource of encouragement. So it's up to us to learn how to use our words to help encourage other people to be over-the-top generous because it could impact our community, it can impact our workplace, it can impact our home, our schools profoundly if we get this right. If we use our words to build up people instead of tearing them down. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you challenge us by your word to, to, to learn how we can use our words that they might benefit all people. God, would you help us to see when we're spreading words that are unwholesome, that spread rot, that cause people to think about worthless things. And God, would you give us uh, power by your spirit to do the right thing, to, to know of other people enough to be careful with our words, to use our words to build them up. God, we thank you, we praise you that you've given us your spirit to enable us to do this. In your name we pray, amen.